Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. You are in for a fun, enlightening, powerful conversation with Robert Riappel. We discuss all about embracing the chaos and learning not to resent it. Robert is a transformational trainer, an international best-selling author, app designer, entrepreneur, and trainer who has spent the past 18 plus years traveling around the world, sharing his passion. He has also shared the stage and trained with many of the top trainers and thought leaders in the world today. With his high energy and heartfelt style, and you're going to hear it in this episode many times, Robert draws on his journey from humble beginnings to financial freedom at the age of 32 to inspire individuals into tapping into their greatness. He moved from He'll share his story of moving from $150,000 in debt to creating change in a fairly fast period of time. We all know it's the work that we don't see. There's always so much work that we don't see. We just see that final story. And Robert does a great job unpacking and sharing all these tools with you. Realizing that he was not the only person who was struggling Robert is open to opening up individuals to the possibilities that lie within them. And that is why he is a highly sought after presenter. We talk all about the importance of shifting out of the victim mindset quickly and learning to embrace the chaos instead of resenting it. The faster we can shift this mindset, the faster we can create results. The number one downfall struggle of so many humans is low self-esteem. If we can't envision a different reality or feel that we are not worthy of creating this change, we don't take the necessary steps to change our reality. And Robert shares some very simple things to do to create change, starting with knowing that we are not the only person who is struggling, embracing our vulnerability with no attachments, acknowledging that where our focus goes is where our energy goes, and how one single lesson can change everything. He really also shares what it was like in the beginning of the pandemic when your business is almost entirely built on traveling the world and speaking on stages. And it just was such a beautiful story of how he shifted, changed, and literally is still continuing to impact people from all over the world. This is such a fantastic episode. Okay. We, we've been like connecting for 10 minutes and I've been crying laughing. So I'm so mad at myself that I didn't hit record, but here we are. It's all good. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, and, and how exciting that it's another Canadian. Like if you listen to the show, you know, I, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I rarely get Canadian guests to come in. So I love this. Yeah. And it's because we're so shy, Marsha. That's why. 
We are. We're very quiet and reserved people. We are. We yes. are. Yes. Yes. yes we are. So another hey. comedian in this realm. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, you know, born and raised in Canada, born in BC, but raised mostly in Alberta. And that's where I live today. Uh, brought up in a family where it's like your number one goal, you take care of your family. So even if the job that you're doing, you hate it. If it's supporting your family, you do it. And the keys are look for that stable job, you know, like the union. And, and Marsha, I'm going to date myself already. But Thanks. I remember as a kid growing up, it was if I could find a job with the post office or the city, those were like the golden jobs to have because it meant you were secure. And, and you had to know someone who knew someone who knew someone to even think of getting hired on. Yes. And But that was my goal because it's like, if I can get in there, they can never get rid of me type, right? Mentality. Mm-hmm. And, and that's security. But by the time I'm 21, I'm all of a sudden being laid off from the third job. And I thought this was going to be my 40-year career job. And I'm going, I'm working hard. I'm advancing. I'm, you know, why do these places keep closing down? And I actually started getting a complex because all three businesses, the reason I got laid off is because they were shutting down. And I'm like, is it me? Is it me? The moment they hire me on, things go south and all of a sudden the company's forced to close down. Ah! Right. In all fairness, you're a 21-year-old. So it was all about you. That's true. Good point. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so at the time in here in Alberta, we were in the middle of an oil bust. And you know how our economy goes. My favorite bumper sticker Lord, please let there be another oil boom. I promise not to piss it away this time. <laughs> and in you know the late 80s, when all of a sudden I'm being laid off from that third job, the only job I could find, because I went out and looked for that real job, mm-hmm. the only job I could find at the time was delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza. Mm-hmm. And I didn't consider that as a real job, but you know what? It's going to support. I'm a newlywed. It's going to support my family. But pretty soon I started making more money getting to drive around, listen to music, window down, and meet people then I'd been making my real job. I was having a lot of fun. And because of my work ethic, all of a sudden I got a chance to become a manager. Mm-hmm. My wife became my assistant. And because we both are you know, raised to work hard, we started working open to close seven days a week. And because we were working together, it worked. And um, a year and a half in, all of a sudden that moment came where we're like facing trauma again. Because our franchisee walked in and said, I've decided you know, the decision to go from one store to two stores was a bad decision. I'm going to get out of Domino's. I'm selling my two stores. And we'd watched enough stores around us get sold. We knew that the managers were let go right away because the new owners came in with their teams. Mm -hmm. And so now it wasn't just me about to lose the income. We were both about to. I go into panic mode and I'm like, oh my God, we got to get a hold of the other franchisees in Calgary. We're going to find out who needs a manager. And I'm blown off steam. My wife's listening and listening. And I pause for a moment. She goes, are you done? And I'm like, what do you mean am I done? She goes, you're not done. Keep going. Come on, come on, come on, get it out. <laughs> and I bent. And when I'm done, she says, are you done? And I'm like, yeah, I'm done. She goes, first of all, wrong answer. I'm looking at her, what do you mean wrong answer? She goes, we're qualified to be franchisees. So why would we go and work for someone else? Why don't we just buy the store we're working in? I looked at her like she was off her rocker, Marsha. I'm like, because we don't have any money. That's why we don't buy the store. Like, hello, <laughs> don't you know anything? And um, I'll tell you, my wife, being the youngest of five children, raised by a single mom, she was taught. Yeah, yeah, she was taught. You figure out a way. Yeah. And so we started asking questions, diving in, making a lot of mistakes. 
And I want to be clear with people. We didn't have perfect answers. We made a lot of bad decisions, but everything that went wrong, we learned from it. Mm-hmm. And after about five months, we now knew what to say, what not to say. And we had the confidence to go to our own bank. And because we were now able to sit down and again, back then to talk to the business manager, you had to know someone who knew someone. Yes. But our, the bank manager loved us and we were in her office one day and she goes, how's it going with the buying the stores? And we were frustrated. We were defeated. We were just, and, and we were letting her know what was going on. She goes, well, have you talked to Grant in the business office? And we're like, we can't even get a, a meeting with him. And she goes, come with me. She stands up, takes us by the hands, walks us across the branch. And she knocks on his door and says, Grant, this is Robert Roxanne Riopel. They're two hardworking kids that want to buy, because we're 23 at the time. She's wow. like, they want to buy the Domino's pizza they're working in, take care of them. And because of that introduction, he gave us the time of day. And now because we knew what to say and what not to say, he didn't give us the funding for the store. He ended up giving us 100% financing for both the stores our franchisee had for sale. Yeah. <laughs> so here you are 23. Now mm-hmm. you have financed two franchises of Tom. Yeah. Wow, at 23. Okay. Yeah. Well, and back then that was the average age of a franchisee because I don't know how much you know about their system. You couldn't just buy a store. You actually had to successfully manage a store for at least a year meet a bunch of criteria. And if you did, then they say you're now qualified to be a franchisee. And they waive the upfront franchise fee, which saves a lot of money for someone. But we still had to be able to buy or build you know, a store, mm-hmm. which was where the expense came in. So yeah, because my wife and I had been managing for a year and a half, we were qualified. We had been, we received saying, you're meeting all the criteria, love how you run the store. You guys are now qualified to be franchisees. But it was, you know, when we sold our last store, an average Domino's pizza to buy or build was about $250,000. So that meant if, if we were to buy at that time, that would have meant we would still had it needed a half a million dollars. Right. Now, luckily, our franchisee and the way the economy was, we actually were able to get the two stores for 90 grand for wow. two. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things we had learned is what to say. One of the biggest mistakes we were making when we were looking for financing is we were coming in saying, hey, we have the opportunity to buy this business. And all of a sudden, all these financiers, are, that would shut them down. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what was going wrong until we finally asked them, well, why do they shut down as soon as we are talking? They say, well, you're saying the wrong thing. You're saying you want to buy the business, which means you take on any liabilities that business has. You know, it's not all the good that you get. It's the good and the bad. And they're not going to finance. They don't know what's in the closet, in the skeletons, if there's someone trying to sue that company or whatever. What you want to say is we are going in, starting our own company and buying the assets of the business. So when we went in to sit down with our bank, we said, we have the opportunity to buy the assets of two stores. We are qualified to be franchisees. And when we, um, because someone had negotiated with our franchisee and got him down to 90,000, he wanted out so bad. That, that was the price now was 90000 for the two stores. When we had the bank go in and, and evaluate the equipment, there was more than $90,000 worth of assets. That's why they said, we'll now loan you the $90,000 to do it. And back then, it was at a higher interest rate. So a big chunk of our monthly payments was interest. Yep. But we, we ran our numbers, we all of that. And we knew that we could, if we were really lean and mean with it, we could make those payments without it causing too much issue. And so we made that scary decision, became franchisees. 
Wow. <laughs> at 23 years old. So how long did you have the franchise for? Nine years. Nine, Nine years. Okay. Yep. Wow. And, and I will tell your audience, because one of the things I want people to understand is I uh, don't think that where I'm at today, where um, my wife and I at 23 became franchisees that, you know, we have had it all together. Now we're just as messed up as the next person. And um, we made a lot of ups, made a lot of downs. And one of the biggest things we learned of right away was we knew how to run a Domino's pizza, mm-hmm. but we didn't know how to run a business. And there's a world of difference right there. <laughs> and that actually, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a missing piece mm-hmm. in a lot of businesses. So I owned a brick yeah. and mortar business. I was a kinesiologist slash personal trainer. Knew how to take care of clients, knew how to do things, blah, blah, blah. Went in brick and mortar. I remember securing that financing. We have four owners and it was scary as hell trying to. So that was yeah. 2000, 2001, trying to secure that financing and the amount that we had to secure each of us personally. It was so stressful. Then we lost one of our owners. Then it became, it just, it just kept going down and down and down. Yeah. And that was one of the things I've said is, is that how many times do you know your business, but to take that knowledge and put it into managing a business staff, brick and mortar, it's, it's, it was such an eye opener. And I feel so naive saying it, but I know I'm not the only one. I remember like, you know, it's December, it's July, it's August, and we have no clients because they're traveling and it's Christmas, but I still have pay like way up here. And it's like, oh, this isn't going to work. And I remember a mentor saying to me how often people buy themselves a job. They don't realize that they think they're building a business, but they're just building another job. And that's what I had really done. Yep. Uh, Our best year. Our best year, and, and to put it in context, our one store in Calgary, in our our delivery area, we had 41 competitors in our delivery area. Mm-hmm. And we thought in the beginning it was all about competing on price. But the problem with that is and when we ran a special, we were busy, sure, very mm-hmm. low profit. But the moment we weren't running a special and our competitor was, where do you think all the customers went? Yeah. We had no loyalty to that. And, and we fought with a franchisee who kept trying to drill it into our um, co-ops uh, group of stores heads that we need to keep on our customer service, which is number one, and raise our prices and get loyal customers that are willing to pay because we're giving them quality and more importantly, we're giving them service. And the moment we finally allowed him to change our minds and we started doing that, our business changed. But in all of our nine years of being franchisees, the best year, my wife and I working our butts off 50, 60, 70, 80 or more hours a week our best year, we made combined $60,000, yeah. $60,000. And yet from outside perspective, people are like, Ooh, you're business owners. Wow. You've got it all together. And they didn't see the, the crap that was going on behind the scenes. Like in, for the first two years, here was our mindset. We can't afford an accountant. So we'll do it ourselves. Uh, mm-hmm. We're already working seven days a week. When the hell did we think we were going to have time to do the accounting? And also two years in, when we're getting that knock from the government going, uh, hello, you're a business. There's these things called financials you're supposed to be sending us. And we had to hire a, a, an accountant to get things caught up. The first question the accountant had for us when they got us caught up was, how the hell did you guys survive for the last two years? It, just you shouldn't have made mode. it. Yeah, just robot yeah. mode. Yeah. Yep. Here was our philosophy. If there's money in the bank, we must be doing okay. <laughs> 
And, and that was the naivety of it, right? But yeah. as soon as we started knowing where the score was, keeping score, our finances were in place, all of a sudden that's when things started turning around for us and we started making some more money. Mm-hmm. But again, both coming from poor families, what did we do? Oh, we're making money. We need to keep up with the Joneses now. And by the time we were franchisees for eight years, everybody going, what successful life? Look at the tra- traveling you guys are doing, yada, yada, yada. We are now over $150,000 in personal debt, stressed out beyond belief, going down quickly and not knowing, like now we weren't enjoying Domino's anymore. Because mm-hmm. when we bought the store, we were looking at our franchisee like, who the hell would leave something like this? Why would you get up? This, this Domino's for life. Well, at the eight-year mark, we're going, we get it now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and one of the biggest things was we were dealing with, uh, if my wife and I could do it on our own, it would have been so much easier running a store. But having to have a staff of 16, 17, 18-year-olds that just wanted to party. Oh, I can't and look, sorry. Right? That, I'm sorry. I have, I, <laughs> my kids are past that age now, but I literally think like trying to manage a staff of 16 to like, that's, that's just another whole basket. Yep. Yep. And, and, and so when we're stressed out beyond belief, and that's actually when we were introduced to personal development. Now I, I should rephrase that. People had tried to introduce us to personal development before. Like I remember my brother-in-law who was a partner in one of our stores at one point, he came out and he said, look at these 24 cassette tapes. Yes, I'm dating myself again. I he know said, exactly what you're saying. Go, go. <laughs> yeah, he said, this is from a guy named Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. You've got to listen to him. And I looked at him like, I don't need that stuff because I was brash, young, we're successful. Who can tell me what, you know? And I'm like, I'm not listening to that. But also now when we're stressed out and, and someone introduced us to a, a three-day training, out of necessity, my wife and I went to it. Mm-hmm. And when we went to it, we learned, first of all, why we we're in debt. But I think probably the most important thing we learned was to take ownership of our debt. See, I was really good at playing the victim. They lost my investment. Because of them, I did this, and I, it was a bad decision. Mm-hmm. And so when we learned to take ownership of it, that's when our life changed. And we were given specific things that if we wanted to create better finances in our life, what we would do. And probably the only reason my wife and I left and took action is because we're in that stage in our life where we knew we had to do something or we were about to really implode. And because we put it into action, all of a sudden we were able to go from that $150,000 in personal debt to actually being completely retired, financially free, nine months later at the age of 32. Okay. So obviously this is part of the story we're going to unpack because I think this is actually, no, I think this is actually really, it's, it's a very timely episode too, because we also can see and feel a lot of the financial stress that people are feeling right now. And I'm not going to speak, I'm speaking definitely in Canada, we can see it. And all the interest rates, the inflation, the everything that's hitting right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I look at the, like, sorry, but the little shitbox house that's around the corner that just sold for like 1.3 million. And I'm like, when, when in my lifetime did I think I would stand in front of a house with no garage and like a thousand square feet and go, yeah, that's worth 1.3, like never in a million years. Like you can see. So I think this is, is a great conversation right now because um, I really want to unpack it a little bit if we can. Yeah. Um, oh, what absolutely. was the time? distant, like, so nine months is there, but I want to know what was the time, um, between you attending this and was it a Tony Robbins three-day event you went to no, or a different one? Actually, um, um, one of my main mentors, T Harbecker. Oh yeah. Yep. 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 I've actually, mind intensive. Yep. yep. 
and um, great book. That was such a great book. Um, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Yes, yep. Secrets of the Millionaire Mind and something I go back to probably once a year. Just I've to- got four copies of it right back on my <laughs> bookshelf. <laughs> sure. What was the time from when you did that um, seminar to when you decided that, no, we're going to start to create change and you actually got into action and uh, create change? Uh, right away. Wow. Uh, it was it was June of 2001 that we mm-hmm. sat in the seminar. And I lived just outside of Red Deer, Alberta, central Alberta. And it was actually in Red Deer because back then Harv was only in BC and Alberta. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you know anything about him now, we train all around the world because you know part of the story is I actually became his first protege. And not only did I start teaching his material all over North America, but I trained most of the trainers he used. I helped him launch outside of North America the first time in 2007. We went to Asia, had 6,000 students in Singapore for the Millionaire Mind Intensive. Um, and then now we're around the world. Last weekend, actually in my studio um, that I we built because of COVID, um, I had over 500 students from 68 countries where I actually did the virtual training for them, teaching them around money management. And I have, because I have video walls, I was able to see, um, I had, you know, three, uh, 150 students on that spoke English on some screen. I had two or a hundred students that speak um, Chinese on other screens so I could see them. I had the English chat and the um, Chinese chat up so that I could work and really interact with them all and, and have a lot of fun with it. And because it was mostly overseas people, I went from 1 a.m. my time to 9 a.m. my time for the trainings on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it's, it's just what I love to do. And kind of how that happened is, is when we left that training, my wife and I went, we're going to take action. And when we saw what nine months did and how we were able to actually create our financial freedom, we went, wow, this worked. What would more learning do? And when we retired for the first time, which was, and it's no April Fool's, but April 1st of 2002 was the day that we actually crossed the threshold to becoming financially free. And it was like, if this little information gave us that result, what would more learning do? And for the next two and a half years, we dove in to learn from as many masters as we could. Because, and I want your audience to hear me, Marsha. I love that you bring on guests because our number one rule is don't just learn one way. Don't just learn from one person. Learn from as many people. Pick up, if you can pick up a golden nugget from this person, that person, watch what can change. And as we're learning from all these masters, that's where I found my passion is I I want to teach because if I can help even one person and, and here's how the dream started. It wasn't, I don't want to, I, I want to travel the world and teach hundreds of thousands is if I could help one person mm-hmm. do what my wife and I did go from that financial stress to financial freedom, it'd make it all worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And with becoming hard first protege, because for years he'd been looking for a trainer and my wife and I were volunteering for two and a half years, also at up to 38 events of his a year as give back but also kept us in the energy. Mm-hmm. And I got to watch him so closely that all of a sudden one day he put me on stage for five minutes to help him out. And this is why I say, like in my book, I say, it's amazing how five minutes can change your life because from him making a decision out of necessity, he needed someone to help him out. And because as he told me years later, the reason he put me on stage for the first time is he could not ignore me anymore. Mm. My wife and I were always showing up and always being of service. And he remembered the one day where he just, was watching me work with a group of the students at a break. And he said, I need him to help me out. And from that five minutes on stage, I went on to do warm-ups for him, went on to do data, went on to co-leading. And then in 2004, I was the very first person to ever teach his training other than him. And we broke the mold. We showed it could be done. And now today we're around the world. Mm-hmm. 
and, we, and we've trained all over the world. And I've now personally trained over half a million students in live trainings myself, anywhere from 100 to 6,000 at a time, loving what I do because it worked in my life. And that's, and, and that's what I want people to get is, is learn from someone who's not going, hey, I've got theory. I think this will work. Do this. And if you ask them, how's it worked in your life? Oh, I actually haven't done it in my own life. I'm just going to coach you up to do it. No, you got you to go to the people that go, here's where I crashed and burned. And here's what I learned from it. That is exactly like, this is why I knew it was going to be a great conversation. And this is what's important to me. I, I feel like, like I can see through stuff and I can see through BS and I can see through stories. And, yeah. and sometimes like the shiny just doesn't do it for me. Cause I'm like, that's just not like, that's weird. Uh -oh, about that. <laughs> I can't do anything about the shine. <laughs> I was not talking about the shine in your head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this this one's definitely going to make it to YouTube. I'm just going to say that. Um, and we, we, in this space of like, let's just be real and share people, like share how it can, you can create change. And you said something earlier, we can talk a little about a little bit more about it, but you talked about like the five minutes can change your life. Was that the title of your book? Title of my book is success left a clue. Um, but I'm big on, that's one of the principles I live by. It's one of my clues I give out is five minutes can't change your life. And the reason I love that is there was something I heard at my let's say recently, and he is somebody I just, especially in the podcasting world, I, I love how as, especially as a man, I'm going to say he's super vulnerable and real on his podcast. And I love that. But something I've heard him say multiple times lately is we are so much closer than we ever think we are. It's that the picture of like the gold, like where you're digging for gold and you're literally yeah, three feet from gold. Yeah. Three feet yeah. from gold. And you're literally like three feet but we stop and go, no, it's so far away or I'm not even close. And sometimes it's one introduction, one connection, yeah. one, like it, one event, and then that little bit more belief in yourself, but learning when we have people like yourself sharing stories like this, you now are giving other people permission to feel like, oh, okay, this, oh. this is possible. Well, and, and, and people go, well, Robert, I'm just haven't been, received any opportunities and I'll say that's bullshit. It is opportunities are coming your way all the time. Yeah. And I love the saying, if your audience is taking notes, write this down. Opportunity favors the prepared. It does. You know, it does. It, 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 and they're always there anyway. It's just, if you're not prepared, you're not going to see it as an opportunity. And yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example of that. If you'd like, like a real world example, yeah. I, I'm in Vietnam. I'm doing two trains back to back. I'm in Hanoi the first weekend. I'm in Ho Chi Minh the next weekend. And in my whole career of training, there's only been two times where I've had an issue health-wise of being able to go up and train. So I did the whole training. I On the Monday is always my wind up or wind down, relax, do what I want to do to regenerate myself. Tuesday, I'll fly to the next city. And then Wednesday, I tour. I just go and get lost and have some fun. And I was getting ready for the training in Ho Chi Minh, and it was a Thursday. And all of a sudden, that night, I got hit hard with food poisoning. Oh. Like, I'm talking hard. And I won't go to the graphics of both hands, but it was coming out hard. <laughs> and, and I'm doing, it's not working. And, and I'm on the phone with my wife. It's like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock back here at home. It's in the afternoon for her. And she's like, you've got to get Tim, who is my assistant trainer. I've worked around the world with him. She says, he needs to do all of day one. And I'm like, he can. He's never done day one, all of it. He's only done parts. I've got to do it. And she, I've got 1,400 students tomorrow. I've got to, and she's like, and, and finally she got, through to me because you know my wife the two most important words in a relationship 
Yes, dear. <laughs> That's how, you know, we, we, we just celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary. So I know those words work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you. so she, about 4, 4.30 in the morning, she finally gets through to me of, you're just going to go up on stage and it's not going to work and you're not going to serve your audience. Mm-hmm. Trust in Tim. You tell me all the time how hard he prepares, how he's always practicing, how he's always watching you. He's always taking notes. And don't you think he's ready? And I'm like, yeah, he is. She said, then you get him to do day one. Mm-hmm. And so I waited and in the hotel we were in, the room, walls were so thin and he was in the room next to me. 6 a.m. I heard his alarm go off and I knew he was up. So I phoned over and I said, Tim, here's what's going on. I need you to do day one. I was prepared for him to like, <gasps> here's the words that came out of his mouth. He said, Robert, I got your back. <sighs> and all of a sudden I sent a message to our partners. Here's what's happening. And I was able to finally get some sleep. And, you know, because knowing he had it covered and we had an assistant in training that was going to help back him up, um, you know, for just bringing people back and stuff. And the partners, you know, got a hold of me and said, can you at least just make an appearance today so the audience knows that you are coming? And so at four o'clock, I showed up, you know, I got, I got showered, got dressed in my suit, went to the venue, spent half an hour on the stage. Is Tim doing a great job? They're like, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow keep digging in, keep doing the work. We'll see you tomorrow. Got off stage, you know, <laughs> got back to the hotel, slept. But by Saturday, I was ready to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And and this weekend was phenomenal. And it was the breaking point for him to go to the next level where he went from being an assistant trainer to being a co-trainer, mm-hmm. where which meant he now was responsible for more. Had that opportunity of me, you know, getting sick, had he not been prepared there's no way in hell I would have had the confidence to say, take it over. Mm-hmm. And, but he, he put in the work. And so what I want people to understand is success takes work. And that's probably one of the biggest blocks that people have. They go, oh, if I'm going to be successful, that's way too hard. I got to work way too hard at it. Well, let me be clear. You're already freaking working hard at being broken, miserable. So you're working hard already. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it in the right direction. Put it in an, a direction that takes you where you want to go and watch what opportunities that have always been there start to actually come into your perspective, your vision, and then watch what that can do for your life. Wow. Thank you for what a great example. There's so many things I took down there. Um, it's true. Like being, being prepared is so important. And when you talk about, you know, always in what I, what I could hear and something that hit for me is like, we're always in training. And we're always in training. It's like, it's, it's, it's not a case of, right. Like whether it's physical, mental, emotional, all that we're always in training because we don't have, I I, I can't control what's going to happen today or tomorrow or what the nope. next day is not at all. And, you know, all of a sudden you can be going on a great track. And then all of a sudden you get that phone call from the family member and there's like an illness. And can you step in? Can you do, okay. Yep. We have this recently. And it's like, Okay, that all right. I wasn't ready for that one, but there is no ready for it. You're not ready for those things, but the pieces of always being in training always speak to me. And it's it's that oh, yeah. that piece of it. it's like we're always literally in training. The other thing that hits me is um, I love how you talk about you know opportunities. I a phrase that I say every day to myself is like incredible people and opportunities are available every single day. And it might sound very cliche, but if you're listening, it's like, I can choose to look at my calendar and go, well, how is this going to work out? And what's the next thing that's going to happen? Like, it's not good. 
Or I can choose to look at it and say, there's incredible people and opportunities every single day. And I'm ready for them. Like I'm ready for wherever they're coming from. And sometimes they come from the most bizarre places, right? And it's like, I see that. That was very cool how that happened. And that's it. And always be you. Mm -hmm. Be you within that equation. And look, March 10th, 2020, perfect example of what you're just talking about. I was on my way back from India, from just training, doing a three-day training, 16 hours in the air from Mumbai to Toronto. I land in Toronto and all of a sudden they're not letting us off the tarmac. They're holding us back from the gate. And we're like, what's going on? When they finally allow the plane to come up to the gate, there's two custom agents at the door checking our passports as we're coming off because Canada had changed the rules uh, because of COVID. And all of a sudden in that instant, thank goodness they let me finish traveling home. I had to go into two week quarantine. But in that instant, I went from flying on average 200,000 miles a year around the world, helping people to zero in an instant. Now, thank goodness I have other businesses, but my main um, income and cash flow comes from me being live on stages around the world. Mm -hmm. But also in an instant that was gone. I went from 200,000 to zero, all my live events getting canceled. And my wife and I, we went into victim role. We did. The two weeks, my mind made me sick. Mm-hmm. What's this COVID thing? Do I have it? Why do I feel that? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh my God. I'm listening to all these people. And I made myself sick and my wife refused to isolate me. So she got sick. And there's times in bed because we're now on 811 for four hours. You remember those long holes at the beginning? I do. Trying to find out. Yeah. How do we get tested? Where do we get tested? How do we know if we have this damn thing? And there was days, parts of the day where we could only be awake for an hour at a time because we were so tired. And it took two weeks to realize we were doing this to ourselves because when we finally got the test and got it back, we were negative. Oh, were you That's negative? Powerful your mind. You. Oh, yeah. Our minds are that powerful. It made us go through the symptoms and all that. All of a sudden, two powerful words that we use in our day-to-day life. When we finally got through that victim role, we went, okay, what's next? And when we asked that question, all of a sudden it was like, well, we opened up a conversation. We bought this beautiful acreage that we live on with the intention that eventually we'll build a training center. So even though I was taking six months a year off, I was still flying 200,000 miles a year. We wanted to build a training center so I could have more time at home and my students would come to me. So my wife said, well, why don't we build that now? And of course, all the what if scenarios came in, but we don't know how long this is gonna last. We don't know if the revenue is gonna be there. What if, so then the two more powerful words we implement into our life every single day, all in. See, most people, when they get an opportunity, they go, okay, but what's my plan B? And the moment you have a plan B in place, where do you think your mind's going to go? The first hiccup, the first struggle, the first, that didn't go the way I was supposed to go, is going to go, I knew I should have done plan B. Mm -hmm. And they wonder why they don't succeed. Mm -hmm. So we live by all in. And it took a year and a half, but guess what? I'm sitting right now in my office. Next to me is my 1,500 square foot training center. On the other side is a 900 square foot, we call it our prep area, but really it's my wife's she shack. She said, if you get a studio, I get my garage, (laughs) right? (laughs) So we added 2,400 square feet onto the back of our home that is now allows me to do virtual live because who knew this was going to last 20 some odd months. And I've been able to reinvent. I had to reinvent over seven figures in income gone over these last 24 plus months. And so I could have kept playing the victim. Woe is me, woe is me, let everything implode. But because we did the what's next and all in, I've been able to now establish myself as an expert 
on video training, on doing podcasts, on being you know a number one guest on podcasts around the world mm -hmm. because I refuse to say I have no choice. And that's where the learning that you're talking about comes in. The moment I think I know everything, I'm done. Oh, so just as much as I'm, yeah, just as much as I'm teaching, I'm a student in as many trainings I, as I can be in because I all, I know there's so much more. And I may not be the expert at them, but when I learn it, I understand it enough to know the team members I have if they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I can sit there and make better decisions on who I work with. So it all comes into play. And it starts with you. What decisions are you making? Are you playing the victim or are you saying, no, there's other choices and I create those. I'm going to prepare so that when the opportunities keep coming my way, I can grab a hold of them. Not saying they're all going to work out. I have a lot of crash and burns, mm -hmm. but I refuse to quit. That's the big key. And I think that like that's gold right there is deciding that, okay, I made this decision. This one is not the right fit or it's not the right. Don't make it mean anything and literally just keep going because you don't quit. The fact that we yeah. stop and make it mean, like, aren't you afraid <laughs> of failure? I get that. Like, aren't you afraid of failing? And I'm like, well, what, what do you call failing? Like, I don't care. Like, what do you call that? Because that's, that's a big piece of it. I don't look at that. I have a lot of people and I'm sure you do too, who come in and they so want to start that next business idea. They want to start a podcast. They want to do something, but they're waiting to feel ready enough to do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it. And failure is where your greatest lessons come from. So I want to fail faster because then I get better feedback, quicker feedback, Mm -hmm. and, and think about it, like when I even started deciding to do podcasts uh, as a guest, because years ago I did my own podcast, but mm -hmm. I didn't have guests. It was just me in hotels around the world. I had extra time. I Something that was on my mind, I'd take five, 10 minutes, record it. And I did like 104 episodes that way, of which four were interviews, the rest were just me. Yeah. And I haven't recorded an episode in over three years. But when I decided to get serious and be a guest, and in the last year, because I only signed up for Podmatch, how you and I met yep. a year ago. Within two weeks, I was your number one guest. For three months solid, I was the number one guest because I figured out the system and I put the work in. Mm -hmm. And I've now done over 200 interviews through them in the last year. And people are like, why would you do that many? Because A, and I'm going to give some secrets, I get better every time I do it. B, I'm writing my new book. So guess what? I've just spoke it into reality because I get a recording of every interview I've done. So I don't have to, I, now that my key fingers are ready to go to keyboard, the book's written. I'm repurposing all the interviews on my social media to support the person who interviewed me and took their valuable time, but also building my um, whole database and stuff like that. It becomes a win-win-win situation. And when I started the podcast as a guest, I was at my kitchen table or in my downstairs um, uh, office, people going, well, your sound's not the best. And I'm, cause I was on my earbud only or whatever. And then as I got better, I got a, a Yeti mic. As I got better, I went to the Sure mic. I instituted more different technologies. Even people like on Zoom, it recorded, my mic was working good. Mm -hmm. But when I get on to Riverside FM or um, StreamYard, nothing was working. They'd go, Robert, we can't hear you. We can't hear you. And I'd have to go to the earbud for my audio. And I'm like, finally, I said to some, uh, I was doing an interview where the, the guy, the host had a partner who was the behind the scenes person. And we were on StreamYard. And I said, I can't figure it out, guys. I don't know what it is. He said, well, Robert, you need an amp um, uh, amp booster. No, hang on. It's called a uh, gain booster, which is an inline gain booster because he said, you're using 
a focus right to go into your computer? I said, yeah. He said, sometimes you need a booster in line. And he emailed me three options. I went on to Amazon and I bought what's called a dynamite is this little thing right here. And then I put that into my in line and I'll see if the camera can catch it. This little thing, it goes in line and it, that's all it is. It costs like 130 bucks. But the instant I put that in, it boosts the gain of my audio now. So I'm even clearer on no matter what device I'm being recorded on. Now, had I wait to have all this technology and everything perfect in place, I just now begin starting to be doing podcasts. Mm -hmm. And that's what people do. They think and wait themselves out of the opportunities. I'm not perfect yet. I'm not perfect yet. I need to do this. No, you don't. You need to get on and do it and go, what worked? What didn't? What can I do different? And then do it again. Make an adjustment. Do it again. Make an adjustment. Do it again. Just keep going. Like Pete, how many humans wait and think themselves out of the opportunity? I actually did a podcast recently that recorded, I had some great feedback on it, but like, where do your ideas go to die to the brain? Like it's the second you, the <laughs> second you go up here, you're literally like the idea is gone because you're going to overthink right. it, strategize it. You're not, that's not action. That's like planning and preparing. Do people realize I love animated movies. Do you realize that was the perfect example from um, Finding Nemo, Dory? Just keep swimming, just keep just swimming. What do we do? We just keep, right. And then, and people thought, well, what a dumb fish. She keeps forgetting everything. As humans, if we could do that and live like she doesn't just keep swimming, our life would be so much more successful. Whoever thought that character up, brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then my mantra that I use the most today comes from Frozen. Every time I get bogged down, let it go, let it go. That's the only part of the song that I know. And I'll actually, yeah. when I'm getting stressed, I'll sing it because it's a reminder, it's an anchor to me of, wow, look how hard you're hanging on to that, dude. Mm-hmm. How's it serving you? Ain't not, so I might as well let it go. You better start singing. And I will. I, and I've done it on stage even. And people look at me like I'm crazy. And I am because I love to live life and just to realize that I'm my biggest obstacle. Mm-hmm. So if I can keep overcoming me, there's so many possibilities. And this, then I'm going to loop it back to you're always in training. Like we're always, this Mm -hmm. is the loop back to you're always in training. And I think that that's a really key piece. I hope that if you're listening, you take this away. Like the, the learning never stops. The work doesn't stop. You get better. Like it's, 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 I, people say that, well, you don't struggle with that. And I'm like, Oh my God, I struggle with it every single day. Like it's that's, and I've actually gone as far as saying that's your story of me. That's not, that's not reality. That's your story. And that's reality. And the fact that you're holding on to that story of reality is of my, of what you think is my reality. That's why you're not starting. And that's not true. And and let's look at the science of that. That is the law of projection right there. Mm -hmm. If you look at um, one of my favorite books, I've got it right here on my shelf which is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Mm-hmm. Don't take anything personal is one of the agreements. Why? Because nothing anybody says to you has anything to nothing. do with you. Nothing. They're projecting on you what's going on inside of them. So even if they sit there and go, oh my God, you are amazing. Mm-hmm. And you can sit there and go, oh, yes, I am. But really, they can't see that in you unless they see something inside themselves. So, and here's a trick. Here's a little tool. If you're feeling that you're stressed out, you're down, and you're doubting your abilities, look for the amazingness you've seen in other people. And once you start going, oh, I admire that person because of this, then go, wow, I can't see that in them unless there's some part of me that's got that, and then honor it. 
not out of ego, out of confidence, mm-hmm. out of confidence. And it's the same thing. If someone goes, well, I don't like the way you did that. Nothing to do with you. They're projecting on you the crap that's holding them back. So take that as a lesson. Wow. Why am I seeing that in them? And why am I projecting that crap on them? I didn't realize maybe that's something I want to work on on myself. Because, mm-hmm. and I'll be clear on this, Marsha, from traveling around the world, probably one of the biggest things I've picked up, doesn't matter your upbringing, doesn't matter your religion, your beliefs, where you're born, any of that, probably the number one downfall to most people around the world, low self-esteem. Oh. I see that everywhere in the world, low self-esteem. And guess what? What do you think I work with on me daily? That's my, you know, that's my Achilles heel is the low self-esteem. And people go, no, Robert, you're on stages in front of hundreds and thousands of people. What do you mean? I still go through doubt. I still go, why are, would people listen to me? Or um, I'm about to bring on a new client. And, and, and me and one of my partners, the gentleman I was mentioning, he, mm-hmm. I want him on your podcast. You can love him. We now create content for other people to sell. And we're having a blast. We're, we're like two little kids in a candy store helping people create content, segment their audience, understand how to take things deeper. And when we started doing up contracts for him, he was sitting there like, okay, uh, yeah, we'll do this and this and this. Let's do a six-month contract. And he says, Robert, it's your expertise. What do you think we should charge? And I would do what's called a, you know, um, MSU. Do you know what MSU stands for, Marcia? Oh, sorry. Make, making shit up. Oh, I <laughs> Oh, I just say, I just say making shit up. <laughs> I don't even yeah. Or, or I call it a rectal pull, a rectal pull. And I'll sit there and all of a sudden I said, um, you know what? Let's do this. Let's charge. I think for this, to design this five-day training for this person, let's charge 50 grand. And I watched his face and he's like, <clears throat> he says, we can charge that much. I said, uh, no, we need to charge that much. I said, are you kidding? If you look at what this is going to do for him, and the millions it's going to make him, don't you think it's worthwhile for us to charge 50 grand? And he's like, okay, okay, let me know how it goes. And we both came from a world where we create something and hopefully get paid for it later. And so many people then come up with a reason why, well, I don't know if I should pay. It's always a struggle. And I and until we changed our minds, so I remember the day I get a hold of him, I said, Aaron, I see I need your bank account um details for wire transfer. He goes, Why? I said, because um I just secured the contract and he had to put a major portion down up front before we even do anything. He's like, pardon me. I said, yep. I said, and I want to transfer 50% over to you. He says, okay, here you go. <laughs> he sends me, and he's like, how the heck did that happen? I said, we decided that's the way it's going to happen. And that's now true. from that being our first client, we're now doing six figure contracts. A year ago, neither of us would have had the confidence to charge that mm-hmm. because of the self-doubt. Even though people go, you guys have done millions. You've made millions in all the brilliant work you do. What do you mean you you have low self-esteem on something like that? We still work with it on a daily basis to overcome it. It's a daily challenge. I so appreciate you sharing that. And it makes me think about where they tie, you know, this feeling of low self-esteem to imposter syndrome. And I had a mentor Mm -hmm. say to me once, like, it's actually imposter. Shouldn't we all have some kind of form of imposter syndrome? Because we're like, we're pushing ourselves into like new areas. Like that's just normal and it exists and it's whatever you call it. But I think it's also like working on that self-esteem piece is because you care, like you're humble and you want to care. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with charging a lot of money for what you do. It's all in that transformation, but it's start off lower. And as you build your confidence and you get results, you charge more. Yeah. Own your worth. 
Yeah. And I, I, because I've been blessed to train thousands of trainers around the world, they, I get the question of, Robert, do you still get nervous when you do a training? And I'm like, every single time. Mm-hmm. And I actually use that as an indicator. I say, the moment I'm not feeling nervous before a training, then I know something's wrong. Because mm-hmm. I'm now, and, and I call it the starstruck stage. Uh, and and I, I'll tell every one of my students, I don't care who you are. I've gone through it. Everybody goes through it. Uh, there's going to be a certain point where all of a sudden you go into the starstruck stage where it's like, Ooh, look at me. Look how everybody loves me. I said, and the question is not if you'll go through it or not, you will. Mm-hmm. The question is, is how quickly can you get through it? Because the moment you're in the starstruck stage, you're not serving people as much as you can. No. Because now it's about you instead of being about them. And so the reason I bring it up with people in the beginning is I say, so understand you're going to go through it. And if I bring on a mentoring student, as an example, one of our agreements, A, you don't quit. I'm going to make things tough on you. And there's going to be times where you want to tell me where to go and how to get there, but we don't quit because I'm going to push you to your limits. I said, but B, there's going to be a time where you've entered into your starstruck stage. Mm -hmm. At that point, with no emotion, no anything around it, our mentorship is going to end. Because I can't assist you when you're in your starstruck stage because you're going to think you know everything. And so once you're through it, then we can resume. So I'm telling you up front, this is how things are going to go so that it's not a shock if and when it does happen. Mm-hmm. Because I, I've got to be able to, I, I, when someone's in the starstruck stage, why would I beat my head against the wall when they're not going to take the advice that I'm giving them? But you, yet, how many people do? They oh. try. A hundred percent. You can't invest, like you can't want it more for somebody than what they want it. You can't, you can't do the work for them. Um, you, you just can't, it has to be, they have to own that piece of it and want to do, want to do the work and be. Right. And they have to take their ego in and cause everybody has ego, but they have to be able to be willing to humble themselves. Uh, I was remembering I was doing a training. I had 300 people in a live audience where for five days I was teaching them how to train in accelerated learning. Mm-hmm. And the first part is boring because it's the basics, mm-hmm. basics, 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 basics. And I remember this audience member, we're into the second day and all of a sudden he stands up and he goes, I'm out of this, out of here. This is bull. And he starts walking out and I said, okay, well, well stop for a moment. Let me ask you a question. I said, why? Why? And, and, and I had the audience acknowledge him for, you know, instead of going, because everybody's like, ooh, someone's about to get upset. Oh my God, what do we do? And, and because I teach about context. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, acknowledge him for speaking his truth. And I said, so what's going on? He says, I'm already doing a million dollars a year in my training company. I don't need this basic stuff. And it, there's times when you do go into your ego based on confidence. And I looked at him and I said, oh, great, a million dollars a year. Then here's my suggestion. Sit the down. Because if you're only doing a million, I said, right now I'm doing 15 to $20 million a year. You think maybe there's something that you don't know. And he looked at me. And he went, you're doing how much? I said, I'm doing 15 to 20 million from the stage right now every single year. He says, I think I'm going to sit down. I said, wise choice. <laughs> and at the end of the training, he comes up to me, he goes, wow, was I ever in my own way? He said, I just realized I'm always looking for a reason why I'm already good enough that I don't need to learn something new. He said, thank you for having the courage to hold me to my own demons. And I'm like, you're welcome. I think that that's a powerful story. And I think it probably had a bigger impact because I'm just guessing from, again, the way I met you in, in this connection here is you're not standing on stage from a space of ego saying, I make this much and these are the things. So it's a bit of a shock to somebody if they're like, oh, I would have never known. Um, yeah. 
and that's another piece, right? Like it's just because people are talking about all the money they're making doesn't necessarily mean they're bringing that home either. Cause we yeah. all know like this can get really muddied waters. I don't know if you see this. Um, I see a lot of it in social media right now where especially like just the, I think the online coaches, I think they say have grown like 2000% in the last two years. And you'll see everything from she makes, you know, it's like $200,000 a month. She makes this. I'm, yeah. and it's like, but you don't know the whole story. You don't know what, what you make and what you keep. Are it's totally not the same thing. thing. It's not yeah. the same thing. And so don't, I'm just saying again, if somebody's listening, like don't get distracted by the shiny penny either, because somebody, you can learn very valuable lessons from other people. And I, I love everything that you're saying. And I'm thinking like, if somebody is listening to this now and says, okay, you're, you've, he's inspired me to create change. And I definitely want to do something. This is the, we're in t- middle of 2022 and everybody's talking about like the scariness of the economy and interest rates and what's happening. And, you know, the last two years have been a roller coaster. Like, I think it's fair to say some people have had to reinvent themselves completely. And some people yeah. have been paid way more money to sit at home. So let's just yep. like, it's kind of a mix of everything, but as somebody is listening to this, could you give them, you know, say they have a scenario similar to where you were, they're working to the bone and they are in like personal debt up to a certain amount. Um, we just went through the experience of renewing our mortgage. And I, our broker was telling us like how many people were not getting their mortgages renewed. And he's like, mm-hmm. I know that this is a stressful time, but I'm telling you right now in Canada, there are people not even able to get it renewed. And I'm like, yep. oh my God, that's horrific. Like, so thinking of some mm-hmm. of these people right now trying to figure out what to do, what are some of the top two or three things you could give them to start with? Yeah. First of all is um, understand they're not the only one. I'm glad you brought that up, mm-hmm. that you, you're not the only one. Because one of the things our mind will do, Marsha, to try to hold us back and and to self-implode is it'll tell us I'm the only one feeling this way. I'm the only one going through this. No one understands. So I believe one of the greatest strengths anybody has is the strength of vulnerability. Be willing to say, here's where I'm at. I, I need some help. Now, asking for help and being vulnerable with no attachment, because there, that's kind of the <laughs> catch 22. Well, Robert, I was vulnerable and no one helped me the way I wanted. Hello. Uh, that's attachment right there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, being willing to be vulnerable enough to say, you know what, here's where I'm at. I do need some help Two, really focus on notice where your focus is. Are you the person that's focusing on everything that's going wrong around you? Oh my God, interest rates. Oh my God, inflation. Oh my God, this is so much more expensive. Or are you the person saying, okay, that's where things are at. What am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm already working really, really hard. And, and again, it kind of comes back to what I said near the beginning of the interview is people are, are already working hard at being broke. So it could be, hey, you know what? I'm already working hard. Where can I put some efficiencies in place that will allow me to keep my income where it's at or go up, but free up space where I can learn something new that might be help, helpful? Because one lesson can change the whole paradigm. And and like I, I talk about something called the four um four phases of life that people go through. And one of the phases is called the energy phase. And when you're in the energy phase, this is the time to get stuff done. But most people go, but Robert, I'm already so busy. You don't understand. I don't have time. And here's from my research. What I've realized is most people are really good at being busy, 
they're not necessarily good at being productive. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a world of difference between the two. So I have my students institute what I call focus times. Start off with 30 minutes, even one 30-minute focus time a day for five days a week, where instead of sitting there, like I could say, hey, I'm writing my new book right now. I'm going to go to the office. I'm going to write my book. Eight hours later, I go out and I'm like, man, was I busy. And I look back and go, but I really didn't get much done on my book. What was I doing in that eight hours? Oh, I was on social media. I was answering emails. I was instant messaging. Oh, and I wrote a little bit of a book. And because that's what our mind does, distraction, distraction, distraction. So now I'm up to an hour where I'll sit there and go, okay, 10 to 11, write book. When I come into my office, no other distractions. And for that hour, it's writing the book. And what I've learned for myself, the equation is one hour of me being productive is equal to six hours of me being busy. Wow. And if you get that, your listeners really get that. That means I just freed up a lot of time in my life. Mm-hmm. by getting focused. And here's a key they, they can do, because I want to give real deliverables to your audience. When you start with 30 minutes, use your phone and set a timer. And when you start, set the timer at 30 minutes. When it goes off, stop, stop. Because here's what the mind's going to do. It's going to go, oh, I'm finally in the flow. I got to keep going. And if you do, what happens in the beginning, especially you start your timer, but it takes you a few minutes to get into what I call the flow. And you're like, okay, oh, I gotta get ready. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna check. And then all of a sudden, about 10, 15 minutes, you're like, oh, right, I'm supposed to be focused. You get focused. So now you're in it and the timer goes off. You're going, oh, I'm just now in the flow. So if you keep going, you've conditioned your mind. It's okay to keep procrastinating at the beginning because you know you're gonna extend. Mm-hmm. But if at 30 minutes you go stop and you walk away from that task, mm-hmm. you're now conditioning your mind that the moment I hit start, I'm in the flow. I've got 30 minutes to be productive. And you'll be amazed at how quickly you become way more efficient that way. That's, that's so that would be a second step. No, that's fantastic. Thank you for that one. That was great. Go ahead. And then the the third step is just um, your environment. Be aware who you are around. I I used to be a big believer in, you know, because there's that saying, uh, the five people you surround yourself with are going to be an average of your income Mm -hmm. and all that. And I was like, so most people, you know, you're the top of the five. So no wonder you're stuck. So I switched it to, hey, everybody, find five people that are where you want to be and spend your time with them. But then my wife sent me a video a couple of weeks ago that gave me a paradigm shift. And it was a video of a gentleman. I got to find his name because I want to give credit where credit's due. But he talked about how he uses what he calls his rule of 33. He said, when you're talking about the people that you're surrounding yourself with, have 33% of the people be people that aren't at the level you're at. So you can be assisting, helping, lifting them up, providing value to them. Have 33% of the people you're spending your time with be people who are at the same level as you, because those are the people that understand the struggles you're going through, the ups, the downs, can help you fully celebrate because they're in that space. And then have the other 33% people that you want to, you're looking up to, that you want to be mentored by, that have achieved what you want to achieve. Because if you have that balance, that's going to allow you to be more balanced in life. And I went, wow. I (laughs) love that. I do. I love that. I think that's actually really, really important because I don't know. I just, I think this piece of that we are meant to pay it forward, continue to help others. There are lots of people who are looking for that. You know, what is that thing? And they're open and willing to learn. And I like that piece of the 33% of, you know, how can we do that to help people? And then 33% we want to learn from, and then 33% on the same level who get it. And I think this is important that 33% oh because you there can are sit times. there and 
the, the conversations you're having, the, the other person can go, yeah, I got it. Uh, my business partner, Aaron, one of our agreements with each other is because life happens mm-hmm. and we may get frustrated. So we have an agreement with each other that if we're there's something that's we're hanging on to so tight because it pisses us off or whatever, we can text the other person and set up a time to ha- get on a call. And when we get on the call, it's just sheer for the one person to vent to the other person. Mm-hmm. The other person is the sounding board. They're not there to fix it. They're not just there to go, oh, are you okay? I understand. They're there for you to just vent it because they're not going to take it personally. And so say if I'm venting to him, I'll be like, and, and I'll vent. And when I'm done, he'll just say, are you complete? And if I am, I'm complete. He says, great. And we hang up. We don't then go into any other conversation because that's, again, taking that tool and trying to make it more. In that moment, it's just like, I've been able to let it go. And because he's at the same level I am, he gets it. But imagine if I was to vent on someone who hasn't achieved what I have, they'd be going, Oh, whoa, it's you. You're already making millions. Oh, 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 oh. What, what do you have to bitch about? Right? right? Or someone who's a mentor to you has achieved more. They might be looking at you going, uh, dude, suck it up. Get on with it. Yeah. You know, because their perspective is different. But the person at that same level goes, sounding board, got it. Are you complete? Have a good day. I, I think I love every single thing that you said there. And for me personally, I like it because I have people in my circle right now that I'll be saying, okay, I'm having a hard time shifting something. I don't want to stay in this energy. I don't want to get on the phone and bitch forever. I just need, I need a, like, I need a, something to shift it. And literally it's let like, it here we go. Yep. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> and I, I hear, and I'll say something and they'll say one thing. A lot of times they're my own words and they're their own words when they do the same thing. But we hear it in a different way. And it's like, okay, now I'm good. Now I'm good. I just need yes. to let that go. And I needed to see it differently. But I don't <laughs> want to sit and bitch and be stuck here. I just right. want to shift it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And some of our conversations when we connect like that, 30 seconds. Some mm-hmm. 10, 15 minutes. Yep. It's just in the moment what's needed. Mm-hmm. And that's that. And this is called context, Marsha, for your audience to understand. It's the context. It's not something that all of a sudden I said, oh, I just need to vent on you. It, we set it up in advance that we know because we both we live life. We mm-hmm. know there's times where shit happens, so yep. we set it up in advance that hey, would you agree that if we're in this space, we can rely on each other? And it's like, brother, got your back. Yep. And so, how often do we use it? Sometimes we've gone a year without having to call each other for a session like that. Sometimes it might be okay. I need another one. I know we just talked next week or last week, but I need another. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so. I love, I love this. I, yeah, I have a good friend who I have, a, I have a bunch of them, but I have one in particular that if she sends the text saying, you got a minute, I know something's up. Like, it's like, yep, yep. I got it. And I'll figure it out. And that's, I think that that's just, again, going back to the first thing that you said there is the strength of vulnerability, like allowing yourself to be seen, allowing yourself to ask for support. If you are a regular listener of the show, you know that that's one of my favorite words because I think vulnerability is like, that's how we start to realize that we are not alone and that, you know what, like there could be, you could literally be three degrees away from learning a solution, a step, something that someone else has used that has worked for them to work through something very similar to you. Yep. Absolutely. You're not the only one, but even though, again, the mind keeps trying to tell us. I'm the only one that's ever experienced this. Yeah. Eh, wrong answer. True. And, and it's, it's, it's conditioning and training your mind to understand that because when you have finally have the courage to start stepping out and asking the, the questions or saying, Hey, I could use some help here. 
and you know, and stuff like that. It was just that's that's when the magic really, really happens. I, that's why I'm a huge believer in masterminds. Uh, you know, you talk about when Napoleon Hill coined the phrase in 25, that really expounded on it when he did Think and Grow Rich of what a mastermind truly is. When you see the power of minds coming together and what, you know, Aaron and I have something we call our creation nation, where we teach people how to create content. And even though we're the instructors, when we get our students in, going into sessions and all of a sudden they start coming up with stuff, we're taking those. We're going, dang, that was good. I like that. Because we know enough to know we don't know enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and when you don't know what you don't know, being um, if you just stay with yourself, you're never going to figure it out. But if you surround yourself with other people that are willing to be growth-minded, and that was another paradigm shift that happened right at the beginning of when the world changed on us two years ago, is I was a big believer in surround yourself with like-minded people. And I'd be in front of an audience of a thousand people say, how many of you are excited that you've got a thousand like-minded people in the audience? They're like, yeah. And then also one of my mentors said, uh, let me ask you a question, Robert. Um, if you're in a room and you're surrounded by complainers and you're like-minded, what are you going to be? Mm-hmm. A complainer. Yep. Yep. I said, I'm like, okay, we'll see you after. <laughs> he's like, he said, I'm glad you asked. He said, you want to surround yourself with growth-minded people. And here's the difference. A growth-minded person is a person that when you succeed, yes, they're going to be your greatest cheerleader. Great job. Nicely done. They're, when you stumble, they're going to be the one that helped lift you up. But probably the most important rule or role that they're going to play is they're the ones that are going to be willing, and, and I want everybody to catch that keyword, willing to have the tough conversations with you when needed. Like, Marsha, why are you playing smaller than you really could be? Robert, why are you being an asshole right now? You know, and, yeah. and they're willing and, and they speak their truth, but with compassion. It's not coming at you like, oh, you need to change something. It's like they're willing to sit there and say, and this is a gift my wife's always given me. And I never saw it as a gift until a few years ago. And it's now a gift I give back. But I will openly admit, I would not be talking to you today and doing what I do if it wasn't for my wife. Because left to my own devices, I'd be still in a job, comfortable, but miserable as hell. Mm-hmm. But my wife's not willing to let me play a smaller game than I'm capable of. And even if it means giving me a swift kick in the ass sometimes, and of course, I'm always open to those you know, times when she's saying, hey, but when I also get it, yeah. it's like, wow, because by me living into my greatness, whose life am I impacting? And even though I personally, and let's put this in perspective, I've now personally trained in live training over half a million students around the world. That's not the end of the impact. How many of them have gone back to their families? And because of what I taught them, they've impacted and impacted. And so instead of the ripple effect, by dropping that pebble into the pond and the ripple effect, for me now, I look at it as I don't want a ripple effect. I want a freaking tsunami effect mm. because I know that if I can get to more people, even if they hear one thing I say that makes a change in their life, then that's allowing me to live my purpose. And I and, and the beautiful part about this, Marsha, is I don't even have to know whose lives I've impacted. I don't. I was going to say no. this. I was going to say this. This is the beautiful thing. <laughs> Honestly, when you start to truly step into what your gifts are, like as you're listening, you, you're you not meant to see the bigger picture. You're not meant to see the ripple. And you just might have that impact. We will. I think you will when you continue and you don't quit. But on that one person who steps in to such a big role that can actually then yeah. save another person's life and do like, yeah. it's just 
The ripple is crazy. And I think when you've been on the receiving end, as I believe we both have, of receiving that support at a low time and that belief and seeing what's possible, um, the more you can make this journey, this experience about how big can you make that impact? Because we had that paid forward to us. And so I want that. I want to continue paying that forward. So you're right. You never see the ripple. Never. Well, and and here's what people don't understand is you're actually already impacting people every day around you, whether you know it or not, Mm -hmm. whether you're seeing anything, your energy is impacting them. And this is why I say in my book, one of two things is happening. You are either everybody that you interact, everybody that you're around, everybody that you even walk by, Mm -hmm. you are either affecting them with your greatness or you're infecting them with your mediocrity. And I believe one of the greatest problems on the planet today is too many people are playing a mediocre game. Mm -hmm. And even though they're going, well, I also want to impact people around me. Well, if you're playing mediocre, you're giving everyone subconsciously permission around you that mediocre is okay. And so, yeah, you're impacting people, whether you know it or not. So you're already impacting people. Mm -hmm. So why not do just like when you moved your head, I love that postcard on your back, dream big. Yeah. See, that's, that's actually... Um, the first chapter of my book, the first step is dream big, not just dream, dream big. Mm-hmm. Because as children, anything was possible. But then as we grow up and reality sets in, be realistic. Well, think of the word realistic or um, reality. Mm-hmm. I broke it down into, into um, you know, real, I, T, Y. And to me, real, reality stands to your reality is what real is to you. Mm. So for me, reality is I've got so much more potential for so many more people I can help. So when you tell me get with reality, I'm like, oh, well, every day, you better believe it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you mean a, why this might not work? Oh, I'm sorry. That's your reality because that's what real is to you. But my reality, and this is where people, because there's I hit roadblocks and I said, oh man, that didn't work. We can't get around it. And my wife or someone else in my world will go, let's try something different then. So again, I don't want people to think I'm greater than them, more knowledge than them. I'm a better person. No, I'm the same as them. Mm -hmm. I'm five foot six. I'm, I'm gravitationally challenged. I'm aerodynamic. I'm, you know, 53 year old guy. I can be me and impact lives. Mm -hmm. Why can't you be you and impact lives? No reason. There's no reason. Oh my gosh. I love this conversation. I truly do. And I can see why you're a transformation. Too bad we didn't record it. I did record it. Okay, just checking. Just checking. I did. Can you imagine? Be like, okay, let's start over. So I yeah, actually I've done this not in podcasts, but I have done it in like coaching containers. And we're in the middle of gold and somebody's like, can you hit record? I'm like, damn it. I just missed the beginning. All good. It's all good. So there's so much here and so much value that I'm so grateful for you to, that you've shared with everyone. Honestly, this has been an incredible episode. Where is the best place for people to connect, follow you, learn? I'll make sure everything's in the show notes, but where's the best place? Well, I'm definitely in my give back phase now, Marsha. And one of the things um, I teach people in my new book that I'm writing is that one of the four currencies of life is time. And time, I believe, is one of our greatest commodities we have. So the fact that you took your valuable time to interview me, and even more importantly, that the, your listeners and viewers are taking their valuable time to listen to this crazy conversation that we're having with no fun at all. No fun. Um, I, I really honor that. And so if people actually just go to robertrealpel.com, just my name, 
R-O-B-E-R-T-R-I-O-P-E-L-M-O-U-S-E. No, don't put that last part in there. Just robertriopel.com. They're going to be able to actually, as our gift to them for listening, they're going to be able to download the entire digital copy of my international bestselling book, Success Left a Clue, as our gift to them. But I will say it does come with a caveat. And the caveat is this. I did not write the book for people to take it, put it on the shelf, and make it shelf help. That's not why I wrote it. Mm -hmm. And so in the book, because I know people are creatures of habit, I go through six very simple steps. Do not let the simplicity fool you. And step number three is take action. Biggest difference between success and non-witnessed around the world, successful people take action. And because I know it's a big issue for people, I wrote it as a workbook and there's action steps all the way through. And because I'm a goofball and quirky, I even say in the book things like, hey, did you do the last action step? If not, stop reading right now. Go back, do the action step before you read more. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to make this promise to them. If they download the book, read it, and do the action steps, I guarantee their life will go to another level. And if that wasn't enough, when they download the book, they're also going to be able to actually book in a 20-minute personalized success roadmap session with me, not someone else, with me, where in 20 minutes, I'm going to be able to give them a ton of value on what, how to overcome blocks that are hitting them. They are going to have to do a questionnaire and assessment beforehand, and I'm going to be very clear. If they don't take the time to do that or give me one word answers, I will cancel the call mm-hmm. because our time is valuable. 100%. And I don't sell anything. This is a complimentary call. I don't sell anything on the call. I'm there to be of just sheer value to help them in getting over any obstacles that are in their life for whatever area of their life that they need. And so if they book that in with me, then uh, I'd love to have that time with them as well. Oh, thank you so much. I will make sure everything is in the show notes um, for them to be able to connect with you. And I look forward to reading it as well. Like, honestly, I'm with you in the sense I'm, I'm in a mission. I'm cleaning up a lot of my books now that it's like, it's, let's just keep the content that is really feeding me right now, as opposed to I've a lot of books. That's just the way it's been. What else have I done? <laughs> right? Right. What else have we done? Um, so it's all good. I have one more question for you that I want to ask, and it is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Mm. It's what probably what I consider is my, the greatest gift anybody can give the world. And is that is to be yourself mm-hmm. um, coming from a world-class people pleaser. I thought I had to please everybody. Um, when I realized that, look, here's who I am mm-hmm. and being me, some people are going to like me. Some people aren't. And it's the realization that if, if I'm me and people who like me for who I am, that's awesome. If there's people that don't like me for who I am, that's awesome. <laughs> that's like totally awesome. Because when I realized how much time, energy, money, stress was going into trying to be other things for people to like me to be someone else, mm-hmm. also when that weight was lifted off my shoulder and I went like, world, here's who I am. I'm blown away even today because, again, that low self-esteem thing. I'm blown away today by the people that are attracted to my energy and go, I need to learn from you. or I want to get to know you. I want to be your friend. My mind will go, but why me? Oh, right. Because I'm being me. Mm-hmm. And so that was probably one of the greatest lessons that ever came my way. That is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that is a, uh, that could be a podcast episode on its own because when people, we talk about like authenticity and being authentic, I actually really believe a lot of people don't know who they are at all right now. I think it's noisy. Yep. They don't know. Yep. They they get caught up on. I, f- I saw a quote this morning and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but like the mere space of social media alone, it is if we're not, if you don't go into social media in a grounded <laughs> space, 
all it's showing you is all that you're not. And so, like I said, I, I mean, I build a business on social media, so I understand. But if I'm not, well, I think you and I need to have a conversation because yeah. you know, my business partner, I came up with a whole thing around the algorithms from the social dilemma um, yeah. that came out that documentary where people are negative, negative, negative. It is. But did you also know it's the greatest example of law of attraction in the world and you can actually utilize it to your benefit? Yeah. So I'd love to have that conversation with you. I will have to have, to, I have if, a second if conversation. If you ever want me back. If you ever want me back. You know. Definitely. Definitely. I love it. And that is definitely one to unpack. And if you're listening and you heard that piece on the social media, please know, like, you'd be surprised how many clients don't know this. You can choose who's in your feed. You can choose to mute. They're like, well, my family's following me. I'm like, you can mute them. You don't actually even have to, like, you just don't have to, you get to choose. And that's such a big piece of energy in social media. So if my energy's off, that's where I try really hard not to go to. And even just in the last two months, I was like, you know what? It's time to clean house. I literally just went through and unfollowed like anything that didn't feel right. That didn't feel good. That wasn't. And it was just like, okay, this feels like a fresh space to be now. Well, and, and, and it's because you're going down this, if you got a couple more minutes, yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, I do. That, that's it is, is when we talk about the law of attraction, because people go, I can't believe this is on my feet and this is on my feet. Well, it's because they're tra- tracking how long you're putting energy into it. And so they're going, oh, they're spending time on this. Let's give them more. Yeah. There's no emotion to it. It's all just biometrics, right? And, and yeah. algorithms. So if instead of putting your focus on, oh my God, look what's happening with that election. And that person, how dare they say that? I'm going to give them a response. Well, why do you think you got more of that coming at you? Instead of going, you know, and I call it, you know, if there's things that you don't like, just keep going right past it. But if there's something that you like, slow your scroll. Mm-hmm. And then when you slow your scroll, all of a sudden the algorithm is going to go, huh. And don't just like the post, love the post. Mm-hmm. And you'll be amazed at how quickly your whole feed will transform. Like, quickly. And that's the easy part. The hard part, because dragons will try to come in and tempt you and go, yeah, but what about this? What about this? So the the work comes in the maintenance, the maintain it. How do you make sure? So I'm very, um, uh, what's the word? When I go onto my social media, I'm very intentional on my social media. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, oh, something I've seen that I don't like, I'm going to scroll through quickly. Ah, here going to take an extra moment. I'm going to heart it. And I, I might even do a comment because now the moment I put my energy to what I'm really liking, I'm blown away by the ads that come up with stuff. Why not attract what you want instead of what you don't want? Plain and simple. And I think that is a perfect example of something that you can put into practice for any part of your life or business, right? Social media Absolutely. is just one piece of it, but it's, it's, you can put that into practice for anything. So this has been such an incredible conversation. I'm positive it will not be our last one, Robert. Honestly, it's, it's well, been- anytime you ask, I will show up. I appreciate your energy and, and your questions. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.